Okay, now today we're going to preach on Psalm 133. Psalm 133, a beautiful sight to behold. Okay, just three short uh, verses I'll read to you, and then as I come to each verse, I will have the PowerPoint there to help you to remember. Okay, uh, Psalm 133, verses 1 to 3 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, and running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You know, as we look at some, as we look at some of accents and wondering with three short verses, what was David talking about? So in some ways, we have to kind of speculate a little bit and try to find some life experiences from the life of David and wonder, could it be this episode that he was talking about? As I reflected on the psalm, I think the closest I can think of, and some commentators kind of agree together, that, well, I agree with them, that it is the unity of the 12 tribes of Israel. See, especially uh, when King Saul died in the battlefield, okay? And King David was anointed king of Israel by the tribe of Judah only. Of all the 12 tribes, only one tribe recognized his leadership. And you know what? It took him seven years, seven long and hard years for David to be recognized by the other 11 tribes. And finally, they come together, one nation under one king, glorifying the Lord, worshiping God, and be a light of the nations. And I believe David was seeing that beautiful picture of finally, finally we come together. And it is so hard, it is so hard to achieve unity, to come together in harmony. And he wrote this psalm as an expression of thanksgiving to God. And in verse 1, he reminds us that unity is to be admired. Unity is to be admired. Verse 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Four things I want to share with you in this short verse here. First of all, it is a sight to behold. Unity is a sight to behold, to look at how beautiful, how good and pleasant it is when brothers come in unity. Okay, to put it in our context, it is like July 4th. Okay, fireworks, singing of the great Star Spangled Banner, God bless America. Okay, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. Whether you are naturalized like me or you are born here, we are all Americans. United by the Declaration of Independence, we hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. What a powerful sight to behold. The psalmist says, behold. Unity is a sight to be beheld. The summit is not giving you an exhortation, rationales and reasonings and arguments, no more. Just look at that. Look at that sight. When people live in harmony, when the church is united, when a nation works together, when communities come together, see how powerful that sight is. Look at that and please keep it that way. And please don't break it up. Please don't tear it apart. Keep it that way. Keep it that way. 
when you see how pleasant and how good it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. It is self-explanatory. It is a sight to behold. And secondly, it is good. It says, it is good. What is good? The same word that is in Genesis chapter 1, when God assessed His creation in Genesis 1, uh, in a few verses, that after He created that day, at the end of the day, He said, God saw that it was good. God proclaimed each creation on each day to be good. And on the conclusion of the creation, in verse 31, chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, God, indeed, God saw that it was indeed, it was very good. It was very good. And then in Genesis chapter 2, the same word came, but in a negative form. God saw Adam to be alone. He says, it is not good. So God made him a helper as his partner. Then it becomes good. That word good is a word here. How good, how good it is and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. And the word good in Psalm 133 verse 1 reminds us of God's provision of community. It reminds us of God's provision of relationships for humanity. It is a blessing of God. And when we come together in a community, when we come together in relationships, it is a reflection of God's creation, of God's plan for humanity. It is God's heart being expressed to all of us today. And thirdly, it is not only good, thirdly, it is pleasant. How pleasant and how good it is when brothers dwell in unity. The word pleasant means lovely. It means attractive. It means friendly. It means joyful. It is a picture of the early communities who live together, who stay together, and they come together to share responsibilities that were common in those communities. And the word good and pleasant often comes together. They often come together to portray a community of things that is working out really well, of everybody bearing some responsibilities, of caring for one another, of supporting each other. He says how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. It is a sight to behold, it is good, it is pleasant, and fourthly, it is kindred spirit. You see, commentators have different uh, agreement, a, a different disagreement over the reference to brothers. What do you mean by the brothers? Okay, could it be just the blood siblings um, or the extended family? Uh, does it include those whom God has brought together? Uh, is it those who profess believing God? I think ultimately as a king over the whole nation of Israel, as David reflected of God's goodness and reflected on what God is doing in the whole nation, it seems that there is no boundary. It is a kindred spirit. It's more than just blood relationships. It is a kindred spirit. It is the community. It is the whole nation that he's talking about. As he oversees the whole nation, empowered by God, to lead people to worship and to be a light of the nations. It's really a good and pleasant sight to behold. And don't, don't tear it apart. But you know what? 
Coming together as a community is hard. Coming together as a nation is so challenging because everybody is unique and different. And to be able to work together and live together is nothing short of miracles. So unity is possible only when it comes from above, when it comes from God. So in the following two verses, the psalmist uses two images. One, the flowing down of the precious oil that anoints Aaron. And two, in verse three, the coming down of the dew from a higher source in Mount Hermon. And they depict the blessings of unity that come from God. And three times you can see that it is coming from a higher source. Okay? The oil flowing down, flowing down Aaron's head to the beard, to the beard, to the collar of the robes. The mountain dew from Mount Hermon is falling down, is falling down to Mount Zion. It is from a higher source. Only when it comes from God, then it becomes possible for them to live together. See, only liquid can flow. So the psalmist gives us two liquids, oil and dew, as a picture of how unity can work together. So secondly, let's look at unity is like the anointing oil in verse 2. Verse 2 says, It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, and running down on the color of his robes. See, unity is like oil. Not, not just any oil, but precious oil. What, what do you mean by precious? Well, precious is the same word that is translated as good in verse 1. Precious is the same thing. It is good oil. It is oil that is blessing you. It is oil that is smoothing, that is soothing the whole relationships and bring people together and under the lordship of, 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 of Jesus, of, of uh, uh, Yahweh, and to grow together um, in Christ. It is good oil. It is good. And the anointing is extravagant because it is not just a dip of something on your forehead or olive oil or something like that, but it is, it is a lot. There must be a lot of quantity of oil being poured on top of the head of Aaron. It was so much that it, it flows down to the beard. And the beard didn't stop the oil in fact, because it's so much it's so extravagant that it flows down, not just to the shoulder, it goes all the way down to the collar of the robes. That's a lot. That's a lot of oil being poured down. And when God blesses, it is very abundant. And it reminds us of, of uh, Psalm 23rd that we just sung uh, a while ago, that you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. God's grace often overflows. When unity comes from God, it overflows so that the whole community can experience and the whole community can work together. It reminds us of Mark chapter 14 when Mary was anointing Christ before he was crucified, that he broke this jar of the pure nerd of perfume and the whole room was filled with the aroma. It, it was so extravagant that some disciples were very unhappy and said, what a wasteful thing to do. You know, you can buy a lot of silver, you can buy a lot of money, and you can feed a lot of hungry mouth and hungry, hungry stomachs. Why are you doing that? You are wasting. But to Mary, it is worthwhile because I'm doing it for the burial, for the burial of Christ, that many disciples can't even see that. They can't even foresee. They can't even believe. 
Even though Christ has uh, predicted, Christ has uh, informed them over and over again, they didn't get it. But Mary got it. She was preparing the burial of Christ by breaking that pure nard, the whole jar, the whole jar, and pour lavishly on the body of Christ. That's the beauty of it. There's so much oil used that it runs down on the beard of the anointed one, Aaron. And whose beard run down to the color of his robes. It is extravagant. And when you see that description, you can almost see that Aaron was in his full high priest regalia and pointing to his anointing and acting as the high priest. He is conducting his duty, his responsibility, his worship, his sacrifices, his atonement for the sins of the whole nation as he comes into the holy of the holies. He was working, he was serving, he was doing his duty. Remember, this is a song of ascent where pilgrims will sing along the way as they move to Jeru- as, as they come to Jerusalem for festival and, and worship. So the generous quantity of oil adds to the picture of the community gathering as a sweet and pleasant time together for worship, for consecration, and for celebration. And when we come together to worship this morning, and when we come to the small groups on Friday or Saturday or Sunday, and when we come to the prayer meeting on Wednesday or other functions of the church, ministries of the church, it is a picture of how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell in unity. And by the grace of God and by His redemption, we are anointed by His Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit. And like priests, we are set apart as a living sacrifice to worship and to serve Him by the abundant grace of God. You know, that priestly image reminds me of forgiveness. If you and I are Israelites today, when we look at priest or the high priest, naturally we think of sacrifices. We think of the temple. We think of the need to offer sacrifices when we sin against God and offer the sacrifice to ask for forgiveness from God. And I believe forgiveness is very much needed as a community come together in unity because no one is perfect. No system and no uh, uh, SOP and no No bylaws is perfect enough, and we are not perfect enough to be able to live in harmony and in perfect unity. Forgiveness is expected. Forgiveness is needed, just like the oil flowing down the head of Aaron, flowing to the beard and to the collar of his robes. You know, someone asked a husband and wife who has been married for 50 years, what is the secret of staying together for so long? The wife said, when I married him, I make a promise to myself that, that you know, we're going to have our conflicts and fights and arguments naturally, but, you know, I, I promise myself to make it work. I will forgive him 10 times, okay, 10 times for the unreasonable, just unbelievable mistakes and, and just, just, you know, uh, things that he will offend me, and I, and I can't take it, okay, but I'll take it 10 times, and beyond 10 times, I'll fight back. And I will, I will not forgive him. So he said, I started counting. First year, three. Okay, first year, three. 
what you fight a lot when you learn how to be husband and wife in the first year. And then second year, like, okay, four, you know, fourth, and then the fifth, and then, then the kids come, and more, and fifth, sixth, seventh. Then she said, when I keep counting, I can't remember exactly which time, and I can't remember how many offenses he has done, and I can't remember how many times I have forgiven him, and, and which number finally I have come to now, and I just keep forgiving him, I just keep forgiving him, I just keep forgiving him, until 50 years later, and we are still together. Forgiveness, forgiveness is so much needed for a community, like a church, like a family, like a marriage. Forgiveness smooths out our relationship for us to live in unity. And thirdly, unity is like the refreshing dew. Verse 3 says, It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life evermore. What a beautiful description of what happened when we live in unity. The second image, the second image likens unity to the dew that runs down from Mount Hermon all the way to Mount Zion. You see, Mount Hermon is located about 120 miles away from Jerusalem, north of Jerusalem, along the, the border with Syria. It is known for its abundant dew at 9,200 feet. It had a share of heavy rainfall and snow. So the melting snow or the dew flows down into the valley. It, it feeds the Jordan River and it reaches as far as the oasis in Jericho near Jerusalem. Okay, so Israel will be parched and dry for many months out of the year. But because of the dew, the moisture keeps coming to Jerusalem, keeps coming to Israel for, for life to sustain, for plantations and vegeta uh, vegetations to, to grow. And the dew that soothes and refreshes the land comes down on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, the center of worship for ancient Israel. It is also soothed and refreshed. You know, imagine the melting snow from the Rocky Mountains feeding into California's water system. Okay? No more forest fire every summer. So the Rocky Mountains uh, melting snow, instead of feeding into Colorado River, if it feeds into the whole California's water system, you know, we'll be okay. We'll be plentiful in terms of water. It's something like that. When Mount Hermon's moisture, when the dew feeds into Mount Zion, it's plenty, that's abundant, just like abundant oil flows down from the head of Aaron to the beard and to the collar of the robes. You know, Eugene Peterson reminds us that at God's people, we need to constantly refresh ourselves in our expectation of each other. Because we are all works in progress. Philippians 1 6 reminds us, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God is, done, God is not done with you and with me yet. God is not done with your spouse yet. God is not done with your children yet. God is not done with your parents yet. God is still shaping and nurturing and transforming our lives. 
on a daily and on a regular basis. When we have expectancy of each other, then we will have hope and wonders. You know, constantly finding new things that we have not discovered because we have expectations. We give thanks in the maturity and transformation that we find in each other because we are new creation in Christ. Biases and laborings are minimized. Stereotypes and suspicions give place to trust and our community becomes stronger every day when we have expectation of each other, knowing that Christ is not done with us yet. When we lose the expectation, then the stereotypes and the biases fortified. It becomes even stronger because we don't have any expectations of each other anymore. But that Jew from Mount Hermon coming to Mount Zion changed that because it's from God. God's transformation and refreshing presence will continue to shape us to be more and more like Him, little by little, every day. You know, sometimes my wife and I will reflect on some individuals whom we have ministered, like in Singapore, when we spent 18 years there, or in Malaysia, where I spent two years there, and mentioned about individuals. It's like, whoa, he did that? I can't believe that. That's not him. Oh, she, she's done that? Oh my goodness. That's not the person that we have known. And that's what happened. Given enough time, given enough allowance, God shapes, God nurtures, God transforms, and that life is being changed. And like the oil that flows down the beard of Aaron, so the dew of Mount Hermon reaches far beyond its point of origin. It doesn't stay in Mount Hermon. It goes all the way to Mount Zion, 125 miles away, giving life to faraway lands. So God's generosity called people to worship. And in worshiping this God of abundant life and love, we become one family. We become one church. We become one community. Brothers, sisters, living together in harmony is a means of the blessing being released. The oil is flowing. The dew is refreshing. It only happens when we live in unity. It gives rise to the possibility of oils flowing, of dews refreshing us. But the blessing is also an image for the wonder of brothers and sisters living together in harmony. It is indeed a miracle because it comes from God when we see harmony and when we see unity working together. See, one, Psalm 133 is one of the songs of ascent. It is preparing the pilgrims to come to Jerusalem to celebrate together as family the festivals of the Lord their God as kindred living in oneness. It reminds the people that their family relationship was established not by blood, but by their mutual share in the community of God, a community that received blessing from its God, that the people who are bound together by their covenant with the Lord their God. And that's how it is possible, because we are bound by God with His covenant and with one another. You know, we each have our own kindred based on blood ties, but we also share in a covenant community with God in Jesus Christ. 
and that's this, and this is the covenant community that He has given us. You know, in the times of conflicts and economic distress, trade wars and mass shootings, and Psalm 133 is like water on parched ground. People who are divided and estranged from one another, they need God's call to live together in unity. And for them, this psalm offers hope and the promise of kingship in Christ. And people suffer scarcity in everything from food and housing to justice and love. The message is God loves us abundantly and holds nothing back. And ultimately, it brings us to Jesus Christ. Because it is in Christ that we are able to come together in unity. Ephesians 2.14 says, For He Himself, that's Jesus Christ Himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In the context, it talks about the Gentiles. The Gentiles were alienated. They, don't, they were not included in the covenant. But because of Jesus Christ, He is our peace. He has reconciled the Gentiles and the Jews and to make them a new creation, to make them both one, because He has broken down in His flesh by His sacrifice on the cross. He broken down the dividing wall of hostility, and people are able to call each other brothers and sisters because of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. I don't know if you have a chance to watch that movie called The Best of Enemies. That's a good movie. I watched it on the way uh, flying back from Germany. Um, it happens in 1970s in North Carolina, where this segregation was still pretty prevalent in those years. This black elementary school caught on fire. You can't use it anymore. And they still have many months to finish the year. So they were thinking to desegregate and, and join the white community elementary school. And of course, both sides were very unhappy. So a moderator was brought in. But to make it work, they've choose two individuals as core chairperson, one black and one white. And, and this white individual is the president of Ku Klux Klan of North Carolina. And then this black woman is the uh, uh, community activist. And they hated each other. They have known each other for years. And, and when they talk, they don't even look at each other. They just shout at each other. And this monitor says, to make it work, you have to hear from each other. Both sides have to come together and, and make it work. So they line things up, some issues, you know, uh, what are the issues? The textbook is an issue, you know, the lunch is an issue, you know, and, and all the stuff. And then they begin to talk. You know what? When they begin to talk, they discover that the blacks, Parents love their kids as much as the whites who love their kids. That the, the president of Ku Klux Klan has a child uh, who is not good in math. And his concern is that when you bring in a few hundred people into the school system, how can my son get attention to help him to overcome his, his lacking in, 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 in maths? That as they come together, they actually discover that the president of Ku Klux Klan has a son who, who is Down syndrome, and he is in an institution. And in fact, he loves his son so much that 
every week he will go and feed him personally and assure him and, and care for him. He's a loving father. But his view about the blacks is strongly held. He will not give in. He will not give up. And same for the black woman. He just hated this president of the Ku Klux Klan. And they clashed many times. But as they begin to understand each other, to understand the family makeups, to, to see the children, they begin to see each other as human beings. And I remember that black woman, uh, the black activist, challenged the president of Ku Klux Klan. He said, she said, same God created you, created me. Same God. It was powerful. Watch that movie. Because Jesus is our peace. God brings us together. And he has broken down in his flesh through his sacrifice, crucifixion, the dividing wall of hostility and bring us together. You know, the message today I want to share with you is Jesus is the peace that binds us together with the soothing oil and the refreshing dew that comes from God, that comes from God only. In the application, I want to share two thoughts with you. One, Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus prays for our unity. We remember in John 17, Jesus prayed for the disciples' unity, right? No, 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 no. More than that, look at John 17, verse 20 and 21. He says, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe me through their words, through the work of the early disciples, all the subsequent who become disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus said, I pray for them too. For what? He says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus prayed for our unity, for FCBC, First Chinese Baptist Church, Walnuts, unity. And unity is so difficult and so challenging that Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago for all His churches, for all His people to be one, to be united. And to be honest, we still struggle today. We still learn how to live in unity. We still learn how to live in harmony. And I want to be very honest with you. Our church... One church, three cultures. One church, three languages. One church, three congregations. It's very, very challenging to achieve unity or harmony because each congregation has different strengths and size and background. And oftentimes in a church like ours, you hear this label all the time. They are first class, we are second class, and they are third class citizens. You hear that all the time. And you know what? We build walls. Sometimes war is being built by others, but sometimes we build the walls. And then laboring and gossips and slandering is pretty common for a church like ours. Three cultures and three languages and, 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 and all that. We have our biases and our enmity sometimes. We have to work extra hard to achieve unity. <laughs> you know, sometimes in our pastoral meeting, in our desperation, we're like, oh, 
you know, so much easier if we all speak English. <laughs> or we say, it's so much easier if we all speak Chinese. And sometimes in a desperation, it's like, oh, maybe we should divide into three churches. It's easier to run that way. <laughs> and we have three congregations and three cultures and three churches working together. What a challenge. What a challenge. It's very, very challenging for us to work together. And not, not that we, we hate each other, not that we fight uh, each other all the time, but we know how difficult it is to achieve unity as we look at any issue. We always look at that in the perspective of the three cultures and three languages, the young and the old, the immigrants and American-born, and how does it work? Because we all have different perspectives. It is, it is very, very challenging. We have to work extra hard. And I want to tell you that unity is constantly in the minds of the pastors here. Constantly. And I want you to know that regularly in a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, we pray for unity. And when we see the building is being erected, we're concerned. We're concerned that individuals and groups want to like, this is mine, you know, we deserve this, right? We want this. We pray and we pray, God, help us to learn how to share resources. Help us learn how to bless each other. And our young people are really, really great. When the Mandarin congregation was just overflowing their facility, uh, a place that sits about 160 people, and they were like 220, they keep growing. And we were looking for more rooms that can be converted into overflow with television, with screen. And our young people say, well, we, we are just upstairs. The, the Mandarin is downstairs. We are upstairs. We have three rooms. We can move out and make it overflow room for the Mandarin congregation. And that happened two years ago. Because we bless each other. Because we are willing to help each other to grow. Because we see the benefits of three languages and three cultures and three churches coming together. It is hard. But you know what? In terms of how to love each other, it is so much more intense. In terms of how to sacrifice for each other, it is so much more intense in a three-culture and three-language church. And we learn, we learn how to give. We learn how to share. We learn how to truly love each other when we come together in that way. And when Hong Kong is having a protest for the Chinese congregation, we are concerned, we prayed. Because we have people from Hong Kong, we have people from China. And they all look at the same event from different perspectives. And we pray for unity. And we help them to, to, to express it in a way that will not jeopardize our relationship and our community. When the Cantonese congregation was, was trying to, to have solidarity with the Hong Kong protesters, and, and some Christians were singing a song, uh, sing hallelujah to the Lord. And that song became a, a hit uh, in the social media. And even non-Christians were singing that song too. They were thinking to use that song to continue to propagate and continue to keep the movement going. So uh, Cantonese congregations like, can we sing that in a worship too? To stand in solidarity with them? You know, as pastors and as, as a senior pastor and as lead pastor of the Cantonese congregation, Pastor Wilson, 
we immediately put a stop to that. We say, you can sing it yourself. You can sing it in a small group, but not in the worship. Because when you sing the same song in a worship to stand in solidarity with them, you are not worshiping God anymore. You are making a political statement. And we are here to worship. We are not here to make a political statement. Now, don't get me wrong. Everybody, everybody has a right and should be deeply involved in political activities. We should. We should vote. We should make your stand strong and clear. But that song will not be sung in our worship until that, that movement dies down. And you know what we pray? We pray for Hong Kong. We pray for reconciliation. We pray for resolution. We pray for peaceful resolution that will be able to help the, the place to move on. We do care about them. But to make a political statement in a worship, that we have to watch very carefully. You see, these are the job of the pastors. We're constantly monitoring. We're constantly watching. We're constantly looking so that the unity, the sight to behold, the beautiful sight of how good and pleasant the brothers and sisters are able to live and dwell in unity is being preserved in our church here. And we work extra hard. We pray extra hard for that, for our church here. It is a challenge. But we continue to by God's grace, to work together in a way that we'll be able to achieve that. So what is our responsibility? I want to encourage you to pray, as Jesus did. Jesus prayed for our unity. Could you, as a member of FCBC Walnut, pray for the unity of our church? Not that we have some divisions and not that we have some, some issues now, but we do have to pray so that we will all, as people of this church, submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because He is our peace. Ultimately, when we all submit under Jesus Christ, He brings us together and live in unity. And secondly, our unity is anchored in our relationship with God. Our unity is anchored in our relationship with God because Jesus is our unity. Behold, how pleasant it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. When, we, when you see that, when you behold that, remember, don't break it up. Don't cause divisions. But preserve it. Pray. Pray that God will preserve us together in oneness, despite our cultural differences, despite our accents, and despite our language differences. But because of Jesus Christ, we will be together. Because when we come together, verse 3 says, For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Blessings of God is being experienced when we live in peace and live in harmony together. Life forever. Life forever. Ultimately, the perfect unity and the perfect harmony can be experienced when we meet Him again. In eternity. You can revise the bylaw. You can, you can update your standard operation procedure. You can dialogue and try to understand each other and find a, a, a peaceful resolution, an amicable resolution. You can do all your best, but none of our effort will be perfect enough to appease everybody. We are not perfect. Ultimately, the unity and harmony will come when we come to the point of life 
forevermore. Life forever. When we are in Christ with Him in eternity, that's when the perfect unity will come. In the meantime, we just pray, we just listen to each other, we respect one another, we acknowledge the difficulties, and we keep praying and keep working and keep communicating and keep respecting and loving and giving each other the due respect so that our church will grow strong together as what is described in Psalm 133. How pleasant, how good it is when brothers and sisters dwell in unity. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for Psalm 133. We are so grateful for the song of ascents for the pilgrims as they walk towards Jerusalem to worship you. They are reminded of the importance of harmony and unity. And today, as our church with three languages and three cultures and three congregations, Lord, we are also learning how to keep the unity. But we are reminded again, Lord, that you are our peace. It is through our Lord Jesus Christ and submission to His Lordship in our lives that we are able to come together in respect, in loving, in giving, in sharing with each other and to build this church to be a vibrant church that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.